Section 28 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in April 2020. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 4. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. Evolution of the Doge Ship in Venice, A.D. 697. William Carew Hazlitt. The early authentic history of Venice is intimately connected with that of the Lombards, of whom the first mention is made by Paterculus, the Roman historian, who wrote during the first quarter of the first century of our era. He speaks of the Langobardi, Lombards, as dwelling on the west bank of the Elbe. Tacitus also mentions them in his Germany. From the Elbe they wandered to the Danube, and there encountered the Gepidae, a branch of the Goths. The Lombards subdued this tribe after a contest of thirty years. By this victory, Alboin, the young Lombard king, rose to great power and fame. His beauty and renown were sung by German peasants even in the days of Charlemagne. His name crossed the Alps and fell, with a foreboding sound, upon the startled ears of the Italians, and toward Italy he turned for conquest. From Scythia and Germany adventurous youth flocked to his standard. Many clans and various religions were represented in his ranks, but these diversities were overshadowed by a common devotion to the hero-leader. In 568 the Lombards marched from Pannonia into Italy, conquered the northern part, still called Lombardy, and founded the kingdom of that name, which was afterward greatly extended and existed until overthrown by Charlemagne in 774. Before the invading hosts of Alboin, wealthy inhabitants of the larger cities of the province of Venezia fled to the islands of Venice, where earlier fugitives had sought shelter from King Attila and his Huns. A thriving maritime community had been established, which about this time had developed into a semi-independent protectorate of the Byzantine or Eastern Empire attached to the Exarchate of Ravenna. Afterward, Venice underwent many political changes, among which one of the most interesting to students of history is that of the institution of the Dogeship, as hereafter related. This step was taken for more than one reason of internal organization and policy, and it was also made urgent by the encroachments of the Lombards, which had become a menace to Venetian territory and commerce. The Republic, Venetian, on her part, contemplated with inquietude the rise of one monarchy after another on the skirts of the lagoon, for the Venetians not unnaturally feared that as soon as these fresh usurpers had established themselves, they might form the design of adding the islands of the Adriatic to their dominion, and of acquiring possession of the commercial advantages which belonged to the situation held by the settlers. For the Lombards, though not ranking among maritime communities, were not absolutely strangers to the laws of navigation, or to the use of ships, 
which might place them in a position to reduce to their control a small, feeble, and thinly peopled area, separated from their own territories only by a narrow and terraqueous strait. Moreover, the predatory visits of Leopus, Duke of Friuli, whose followers traversed the canals at low tide on horseback and despoiled the churches of Heraclea, Equilo, and Grado, soon afforded sufficient proof that the equestrian skill of the strangers was capable of supplying to some extent any deficiency in nautical knowledge. Venice at present formed a federative state, united by the memory of a common origin and the sense of a common interest. The Arengo, which met at Heraclea, the parent capital, at irregular intervals to deliberate on matters of public concern, was too numerous and too schismatical to exercise immediate control over the nation, and each island was consequently governed, after the abolition of the primeval consulate, in the name of the people, by a gastaldo or tribune, whose power, nominally limited, was virtually absolute. This administration had lasted nearly two centuries and a half, during which period the Republic passed through a cruel ordeal of anarchy, oppression, and bloodshed. The tribunes conspired against each other, the people rebelled against the tribunes, family rose against family, clan against clan. Sanguinary affrays were of constant occurrence on the thinly peopled Lidi and amid the pine woods, with which much of the surface was covered, and it is related that in one instance at least the bodies of the dead were left to be devoured by beasts and birds of prey, which then haunted the more thickly afforested parts. Jealousy and intolerance of the pretensions of Heraclea to a paramount voice in the policy of the community may be securely assigned as the principal and permanent source of friction and disagreement, but the predominance of that township seems to have resisted every effort of the others to supplant its central authority and wide sphere of influence, and during centuries it preserved its power, through its ostensible choice as the residence of the most capable and influential citizens. The scandalous and destructive outrages attendant on the rule of the tribunes had become a vast constitutional evil. They sapped the general prosperity, they obstructed trade and industries, they made havoc on people and private property, they banished safety and repose, and they impoverished and scandalized the church. The depredations of the Lombards, which grew in the course of time bolder and more systematic in their character, certainly indicated great weakness on the part of the government. Yet it was equally certain that the weakness proceeded less from the want than from the division of strength. The sacrilegious inroads were not without their beneficial results, for they afforded those who might be disposed to institute reforms an admirable ground not only for bringing the matter more closely and immediately under the public observation, but they enlisted in the cause the foremost ecclesiastics, who might recognize in this internal disunion a danger of interminable attacks and depredations from without, if not an eventual loss of political independence, and, accordingly, in the course of the spring of 697 to 698, 
the patriarch of grado himself submitted to the arengo at heraclea a scheme which had been devised by him and his friends for changing the government the proposal of the metropolitan was to divest the tribunes of the sovereignty and to have once more a magistrate capo dei tribuni in whom all power might be concentrated his title was to be duke his office was to be for life with him was to rest the whole executive machinery he was to preside over the synod as well as the arengo either of which it was competent for him to convoke or dissolve at pleasure merely spiritual matters of a minor nature were alone in future to be entrusted to the clergy and all acts of convocations the ordination of a priest or deacon the election of a patriarch or bishop were to be subject to the final sanction of the ducal throne in fact the latter became virtually and in all material respects autocrat of venice not merely the tribunes but even the hierarchy which was so directly instrumental in creating the dignity having now no higher function than that of advisers and administrators under his direction and it was in matters of general or momentous concern only that the republic expected her first magistrate to seek the concurrence or advice of the national convention in a newly formed society placed in the difficult situation in which the republic found herself at the close of the seventh century and where also a superstitious reverence for the pontiff might at present exist apart from considerations of interest it ought to create no surprise that the patriarch and his supporters should have formed a unanimous determination and have taken immediate steps to procure the adhesion of the holy see before the resolutions of the popular assembly were definitively carried into effect this measure simply indicates the character of the opinions which were received at the time in europe as well as the strong consciousness on the part of the patriarch and those who acted with him of the expediency of throwing the voice and countenance of the church into the scale alike against the tribunicial oligarchy and against local jealousies and prejudices there was perhaps in this case the additional inducement that the proposal to invest the doge with supreme power and jurisdiction over the church as well as over the state might seem to involve an indirect surrender either now or hereafter on the part of the holy see of some of its power as a high priest or a grand pontiff who was also a secular prince might prove less pliant than an ordinary liegeman of the church but the men of six hundred ninety seven acted as we must allow sagaciously enough when they presented their young country to the consideration of the papacy as possessing a party of order into which the church entered and from which it now stood conspicuously and courageously out to take this very momentous initiative the creation of an ecclesiastical system had been one of the foremost aims of the first founders who discerned in the transplantation of the churches of the terra firma and their familiar pastors to the islands the most persuasive reconcilement of the fugitives to a hard and precarious lot and after all the intervening years it was the elders of the church who once more stepped forward and delivered their views on the best plan for healing discord and making life in the lagoons tolerable for all 
they sought some system of rule after trying several which would enable them to live in peace at home and to gain strength to protect themselves from enemies they would have been the most far-seeing of human beings if they had formed a suspicion of what kind of superstructure they were laying on the foundation the nearest model for their adoption or imitation was the lombard type of government almost under their very eyes and so far as the difference of local postulates suffered it was that to which they had recourse when they vested their new chieftain undivided jurisdiction but primarily military attributes and a title then recognized as having above all a military significance on the receipt of the desired reply the patriarch lost no time in calling on the national assembly to follow up their late vote to its legitimate consequences and the choice of the people fell on paluccio anafesto a native of heraclea whose name occurs here for the first time but who may have supposed to have had some prominent share in promoting the late revolution anafesto was conducted to a chair which has been prepared for him in his parish church and solemnly invested by the metropolitan with the insignia of authority one of which is said to have been an ivory sceptre a symbol and a material borrowed from the romans it is not an unusual misconception that this organic change in the government involved the simultaneous extinction of the tribunicial office and title but the truth is that the tribunes continued to exercise municipal and subordinate functions many generations after the revolution of six hundred ninety seven each island of importance such as malamocco and equilo had its own tribune while of the smaller islands several contributed to form a tribunate or governorship and office though neither strictly nor properly hereditary still preserved its tendency to perpetuate itself in a limited number of families it is only subsequently to the twelfth century that less is heard of the tribunes and the progress of administrative reform led to the gradual disappearance of this old feudal element in the constitution in the time of anafesto the larger islands of the dogado formed the seats of powerful factions the disproportion in point of influence between the crown and the tribune of malamocco or the tribune of equilo was but slightly marked and the abolition of that magistracy was a much more sweeping measure than the first makers of a doge would have dared to propose the military complexion of the ducal authority was not confined to the personal character of the supreme officer of state for under him not as a novel element in the constitution but as one which pre-existed side by side with the tribunicial system served a master of the soldiers whom there is a fairly solid ground for regarding as second to the doge or duke in precedence and above the civil tribunes of the respective townships to find in so small and imperfectly developed a state the two leading functionaries or ingredients deriving their appellations from a command and control over the rude feudal militia might alone warrant the conclusion that the most essential requirement of venice even when it had so far modified the form of administration was felt to be the possession under responsible direction of a means of securing internal order and withstanding external aggression 
if it were not the case that from the gothic era onward we hear of scolae militiae cum patronis manifestly the schools of instruction for the body over which the magister militum presided these seminaries existed in the days of the exarch narcis generations before a doge was given to venice yet through all the time which has now elapsed since the first erection of a separate political jurisdiction not only the church on which such stress was at the very outset laid but a civil government and regulations for trade and shipping must have been active forces always tending to grow in strength and coherence the venetians in constructing by degrees and even somewhat at random a constitutional fabric very naturally followed the precedents and models which they found in the regions which bordered on them and from which their forefathers had emigrated the lombard system which was of far longer duration than its predecessors on the same soil borrowed as much as possible from that which the invaders saw in use and favour among the conquered and the earliest institutions of the only community not subjugated by their arms were counterparts either of the lombard the roman or the greek customary law the doge in some respects enjoyed an authority similar to that which the romans had vested in their ancient kings but while he was clothed with full ecclesiastical jurisdiction he did not personally discharge the sacerdotal functions or assume a sacerdotal title the latins had had their magistri populi and in the middle ages they recognized at naples and at amalfi a master of the soldiers at lucca verona and elsewhere a captain of the people but all these magistrates were in possession of the supreme power were kings in everything save the name and the interesting suggestion presents itself that in the case of venice the master of the soldiers had been part of the tribunitial organization if not of the consular one and that one of the tribunes officiated by rotation bearing to the republic the same sort of relationship as the bretwalda bore to the other anglo-saxon reguli there can be no doubt that venice kept in view the prototypes transmitted by rome and learned at last to draw a comparison between the two empires and down to the fifteenth century the odour of the conscript fathers lingered in the venetian fancy subsequently to the entrance of the ducks duke or doge on the scene and the shrinkage of the tribunitial power to more departmental or municipal proportions the master of the soldiers whatever he may have been before became a subordinate element in the administration his duties must have certainly embraced the management of the militia and the maintenance of the doge's peace within the always widening pale of the ducal abode he was next in rank to the crown or throne thus we perceive that after a series of trials the venetians eventually reverted to the form of government which appeared to be most agreeable on the whole to their conditions and genius the consular triumviri not perhaps quite independent of external influences were originally adopted as a temporary expedient the tribunes who next succeeded had a duration of two hundred and fifty years 
their common fasti are scanty and obscure and we gain only occasional glimpses of a barbarous federal administration which barely sufficed to fulfil the most elementary wants of a rising society of traders they were alike more or less a machinery of primitive type deficient in central force and without any safeguards against the abuse of authority without any definite theory of legislation and police the century and a half which intervened between the abrogation of monarchy in the person of a tribune and its revival in the person of a doge 574 to 697 beheld the republic laboring under the feeble and enervating sway of rival aristocratic houses on which the sole check was the urban body subsequently to emerge into importance and value as the militia of the six wards and its commandant the master of the soldiers but while the institution of the dogeship brought with it a certain measure of equilibrium and security it left the political framework in almost every other respect untouched the work of reform and consolidation had merely commenced the first stone only had been laid of a great and enduring edifice the first permanent step had been taken toward the unification of a group of insular clanships into a homogeneous society with a sense of common interests the late tribunitial ministry has transmitted to us as its monument little beyond the disclosure of a chronic disposition to tyranny and periodical fluctuations of preponderance the so-called chair of attila at torcello is supposed to have been the seat where the officer presiding over that district long held his court subdio the doge anafesto appears to have pacified by his energy and tact the intestine discord by which his country had suffered so much and so long and the equiles especially who had risen in open revolt and had refused to pay their proportion of tithes were persuaded after some fierce struggles in the pineto or pine woods which still covered much of the soil to return to obedience the civil war which had lately broken out between equilo and heraclea was terminated by the influential mediation of one of the tribunes and the lombards now condescended to ratify a treaty assigning to the venetians the whole of the territory lying between the greater and lesser piave empowering the republic to erect boundary lines and prohibiting either of the contracting parties from building a stronghold within ten miles of those lines a settlement of confines between two such close neighbours was of the highest importance and utility but still a more momentous principle was here involved the republic had exercised a clear act of sovereign independence it had made its first italian treaty this was a proud step and a quotable precedent end of section twenty eight